Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Well, if you're a visitor to Cross Lane today, let me welcome you. We're really glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> it's always, uh, uh, the goal is that you would come in and that you would feel warmly welcomed without feeling put upon. We want you to feel like you can kind of blend in and be a little anonymous, but we also want you to know we're really glad you're here and have decided to spend some time with us this morning, and, and um, it's a welcome. What you need to know is that uh, you've walked into a church where everybody is just as jacked up as you are, okay? <laughs> you're among friends. Well, we know what it is to be a little messed up, and so you don't have to be something you're not around here. We love you just the way you are, and, uh, and uh, like the rest of us, we hope that you're wanting Jesus to take you to someplace new. So, uh, welcome to Cross Lane. I don't want to give you an exact date, but I can tell you that we are, we are in T-minus stage for the new building, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a date up here, but if I said it out loud, I would get in trouble in the office, so I'm not going to do that, but it's soon, all right? And uh, when we do, I want to move in there like a plague of locusts, all right? We need to have lots of people here. You need to invite. This is a great opportunity for you to invite a friend to come experience the joy with us and the excitement uh, as we go into that new building. And um, I get emotional even thinking about it, just going in and, and praising God for what's been done around here and is yet to be done. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. I, once in a while, someone will, I'll take them over there and let them see that. And uh, it's always the same. You walk into the auditorium and they go, wow. It's pretty sweet. So um, I'm going to be gone for the last three days of this week, and it's going to drive me nuts. I, they can't even keep me out of there. I'm over there all the time. Um, I'd like to tell you I'm supervising, but I don't know enough to supervise anything. I just go over there and gawk at them. So um, soon, very soon. I'm thinking by the end of the month. So, uh, but you didn't hear that here. That's a, we're whispering that, okay? Um, I want to show you a picture. How many of you are wigged out right now? How many of you just snakes are like, no, no, don't like snakes? My dad is a truck driver, was, it, retired now. He wouldn't even run over them because he was afraid he'd throw one up in the cab of the truck with him. He, he's petrified of snakes. He hates them. Um, I told the, the guys running the, the, the projection today to, um, I mean, the series is Four Snakes, and as we get into the series, you'll understand why it's called Four Snakes, and I'm about to tell you a story in a minute that's really going to wig you out. Um, but I told them, don't, you know, normally when I'm preaching, that they'll show that splash screen in between. I told them, don't do that today, because we probably got some people that don't want to look at that. But I worked hard on that, y'all. You got to look at the four snakes for just a minute. And now she's going to take it away. Okay, there you go. So, so let me open with a story that Andy Stanley tells about his brother-in-law, who was a student at Auburn University, and his name is Jack. And when Jack was at Auburn University, he bought a six-foot python. Yeah, why would you do that? Uh, and, and by the time he sold it, it had grown to be 10 feet long. In the, in the interim, um, the snake, whose name was Larry Bud, that's what he called it, and some of you may recognize that name from somewhere, from someone famous. In the interval, he kept the snake, Larry Bud, in his apartment on campus at Auburn University. When he bought the python... His mom let him know in no uncertain terms the snake, she didn't want to hear about the snake, she didn't want to talk about the snake, she didn't want to see pictures of the snake. She didn't want to really 
acknowledged that the snake existed, the snake was under no circumstance supposed to come home from college to her house. And um, like most of us who are in college, Jack had a filter and he filtered some of what mom said. On one particular occasion, he knew that his parents were going to be gone all day from the house. So he had some errands to run in his hometown. So he put Larry Bud in the car and he took him home to his hometown, uh, knowing that his mom and dad would be out. And um, when he got home, he had some errands to run. So he took Larry Bud and he he didn't really have a place, a cage or anything, so he, he looked around and he, he saw this one uh, bathroom. And so he put Larry Bud in the bathroom. He looked around, didn't think, you know, he thought Larry Bud would be safe in there. And um, I guess he put him on the rug and I don't know what you say to a snake, stay Larry Bud. I don't know what you're supposed to say to a snake, but um, stay Larry Bud, don't move. And, and he was gone a couple of hours and when he came back, he opened the door and Larry Bud was gone. So he starts looking around the bathroom trying to figure out where in the world an eight-foot snake could have disappeared to. When he opened up the cabinets, he realized that something wasn't right. The HVAC system, the way it had been finished in this house, uh, somehow it came up into a cabinet and there was just a hole that they had cut and they had not covered that hole. And the cabinet you know, came down, there's a front, it goes back and then there's a kick plate. You know what I'm talking about? Where your feet would be and usually they seal all that up well they didn't and apparently Larry Bud was chilling in the bathroom and felt a draft and started to kind of follow the draft got up down into the HVAC system underneath the house he's in the pipe the vents somehow okay so now he's got a problem as if owning an eight-foot snake's not a big enough problem. Because the snake is under the house somewhere in the HVAC system, he has no idea. He, he decides to turn the heat on. He thinks, well, I'll, I'll take all the vents off, all the openings in all the rooms. We'll turn the heat on. Maybe that'll kind of drive him out. And, you know, thinking that he probably is not going to come back the same way he went in, he did it in all, all throughout the house. And so... It's summertime, he's got the heat cranked up in this house, and he's just kind of chilling, hanging out, waiting on Larry Bud to show up so he can go back to school, hoping he can do all this before his mom and dad get home. So no snake shows up, and so eventually he's got to get back to school. So he wrote his parents a note and put it on the kitchen counter. Dear mom and dad, uh, Larry Bud is somewhere under the house. I have opened up all the vents. Please, when you get home, check for Larry Bud to see if you can find him. And he leaves and he goes back to Auburn and that night, pretty late, his mom and dad come in after a long day being out and they see a note on the counter, they pick it up and they, they read this note about this python that's loose in their house. They check around, they can't find the snake, so they just went to bed. Now before I finish this story, how many of you think that's really what happened? Would you just go to bed with an eight-foot python crawling around in your pipe somewhere? Would you do that? Of course you wouldn't, <laughs> and neither did they. Um, that part is made up. I, that, that's all been made up. They knew what you know. When you have a snake in your house, whatever else you were doing and whatever else you thought was important, you set that to the side because you got a snake in your house. 
And you don't just ignore that. That's a problem. You've got to fix that. You've got to figure that out. You know, your number one priority becomes we have to get the snake out of the house. No one does business as usual with an eight-foot python moving around under their house where they don't know where it's going to be. To finish the story, <clears throat> they did come home, and Jack was still there, and Larry Bud did eventually come back up into the house a different way than he went in. <clears throat> and Jack said he knew he was dead meat, so he just took the snake and wrapped it around him and just left. I don't even know if he said goodbye to his mom and dad. He knew better. He just, put the, he just got the snake out of there, and I think his mom was screaming the whole time that you know he's walking away with the snake. Um, the point of the story is if you have a snake in your house, you're pretty focused. You're pretty focused on getting that taken care of. Um, it's, it's interesting that I'm doing this series this week. I got a phone call. I didn't. Uh, Cheryl texted me, and she said, Did, I, I, got a, I want to tell you about a phone call I got in the office. A, f- a woman called, uh, had a house of 16 in it, um, and they were needing some help trying to find some place to stay. And we're really not equipped to do a whole lot of that, so I don't think we were much help. But family of 16 has this house, and they were told this week that their attic is full of snakes. And they, had to, they, they were going to have to get out of the house, and they were looking around uh, for help with that. Um, some of you, if you've got a mouse in your house, you're not going to sleep at night, right? Some of you, I mean, until you know that your husband or your son or your daughter or whoever or husbands who, until their wife gets rid of the snake, you know, um, they're not going to bed. The strange thing is, when it comes to our hearts, we're far less proactive. All kinds of things get stuck in there, and that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. I want to talk a little bit today about behavior modification. As a kid we learn that there just are certain things you don't do because there are consequences for those things, right? I'll tell you, I got two stories to tell you from my childhood. One I think I've told you and one I haven't. Uh, the one I have not told you is when I was about um, 14-ish, 15, um, I had a sister that was 20 months younger than me. Her name is Amy. And um, you know when, when, if you have a boy and a girl, same age, and they hit puberty, and then the girl shoots up, right? You, you know that whole phenomenon? Well, add to that that I was just a miniature man anyway, and I've told you this before, but I was 88 pounds in the fourth grade. Or I was, I was 4'11 and weighed 88 pounds in the ninth grade, okay? Teeny tiny. And my sister just shot up. So that creates issues for me, Okay big issues. I still to this day have some issues, probably need counseling for that. But, um, and, and this is back in the day, kids, this is going to sound like I'm telling you a five miles to school uphill both ways story. I'm not, but this is, uh, this is back when, um, I, to add to the fact that I have issues, I grew up a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So, I, and this is back when they didn't have, you didn't, like you guys come home on a Sunday and you can watch the Colts almost every Sunday, right? I mean, there's very few Sundays you don't get to watch the Colts. It wasn't like that back in the day. There were only like three or four games that you were able to see on television. And um, so this was a day that I was going to be able to watch the football game and get to watch the Bengals. And, and uh, I'm coming home from church, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm talking about watching the game. And my sister knows that I want to watch the game. Now, this is also back in the day when we had one TV in the house. Kids, I know that sounds archaic to you. We just had one t- It was color, but it was just one TV, the only TV we had in the whole house. 
and it didn't even have a remote. Can you imagine that? So, um, <clears throat> so I'm really excited about watching this game, and we get home, and we're changing clothes, and I'm going to go downstairs and watch the game. Unbeknownst to me, my, my, my sister has changed her clothes and gone down to the, the family room, <clears throat> and she's called dibs on the television, just not because she wanted to watch anything specific, there was a movie on, but I knew she wasn't interested in that movie. Her goal was to keep me from watching the football game. Her goal was to get under my skin, which I must confess she did quite well because I got furious. Now, I was smaller than her, um, but I had a temper, and um, it resulted in she and I wrestling around and me chasing her through the house until, and, and kids, I don't, I got blistered for what I did, okay? I'm going to tell you I should have been blistered because this isn't gentlemanly at all, but I'm just going to tell you, I caught her in the right proximity to me, doubled my fist, and hit her between the shoulder blades as hard as I physically could, okay? And she whimpered and cried and went to mom and told on me, and mom saw the mark and the bruise, and I was in trouble, and I got blistered, and I should have, okay? That's my first story about behavior modification, mom spanked me because you're not supposed to do that okay so the second story is this and I've told you this one but this is just too good not to tell again I was maybe five or six okay so what that means my sister's younger than that even and my mom had a, a the old style Volkswagen you know the original Volkswagen I mean classic uh, bluish green color you know that that the Volkswagen and um, she was taking us to my grandparents' house, uh, which was on Mill Creek Road. Mill Creek was down in a holler in Kentucky, and this road went by, and then my papa's driveway had a little bit of an incline, not a lot, just a little, and then there was the road, and then across the road was, was Mill Creek, and it was a fairly good-sized creek. We played in it all the time, and it, it kind of had a lane, kind of a wide, gravelly, I mean, there was a lot of room to be able to get down to this creek. So, my mom pulls in with the Volkswagen, you know, leaves the car in gear, uh, sets the emergency brake, and we all get out of the car, and she goes inside to see my grandparents. And my sister and I are out in the yard playing. The next thing you know, I decide, we decide, we're going to get in the car and play in the car, and I'm pretending to be a race driver, probably Dan Gurney or somebody cool like that, and I'm shifting the gears. And then I found... this lever that if you lift up and push the button down that thing will move so I did that and I put it down and didn't think anything for a minute and thought all was well until I realized uh oh we're rolling backward now Mill Creek Road was not oft traveled but when it was traveled it was traveled at a high rate of speed so you have you have a probably a four and a five four or five year old and however young she would have been in the car with me um, and we're moving toward Mill Creek Road headed for the big opening where you would go on down to the creek and I'm in we're in my mom's car and she's inside talking has no idea so um, I realize there's a problem and I just decided that the best thing that I should do was to open the door and get out of the car. So that's what I did. I know I'm brilliant, right? I'm brilliant. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get away from the car, and I do my best detective role. You know, I think Mannix was a big show back in the day, and I was Mannix, you know, and I'm rolling away from... And 
the door closes, if my memory serves me correctly, the door closes and my sister is still in the car and I'm watching her <laughs> go, which, you know, depending on my attitude, that might not have been a bad thing. She's headed for the creek. Um, she's rolling back toward the creek. The car's getting smaller. And so I know you're wondering if it made it to the creek. It didn't. It eventually rolled across the road and it came to, into some weeds and bushes and it stopped rolling not before my mother had realized that there was a commotion outside because there was yelling and screaming and and um, she saw the car as it's rolling sees me rolling on the ground you know she's told me I just had visions of you getting run over by that car and um, so I knew I was in trouble when mom said get inside and get ready to take your medicine I knew it wasn't going to be pretty and it wasn't. It was, uh, it was pretty ugly, and, and that was some behavior modification. And, you know, after something like that, after you get blistered real good for something like that, you say things to yourself like, I'm never going to do that again. Um, over time, we learn based on behavior modification, based on the real world. If we, if we say certain things that then doesn't work out, we learn. Can't say that. And we get older and we learn how to get through school. We learn how to behave and how, what not to say and what to say. We learn on a date how to get a date. We learn how to stay on a date. And we learn what ends a date real quick. You know, you, there's certain things you don't do. There's, we learn how to get a job and how to keep a job. There's just certain things you can't do when you have a job. Um, they expect you to show up. You can't just not show up and not call somebody and tell them that's not going to work. We go through life learning what to say and what to do in order to make life work out. And then every once in a while, we say or do something, and you know the response is, well, I don't know where that came from. And suddenly a relationship crashes, or we lose a job, or worse. And we look in the mirror and we say, where did that come from? I, I'm better than that. I know better than that. And again, we, we have developed a filter through which to filter our words and our actions and to make life work because if you don't have a filter, you get spanked every day, right? I mean, if you don't learn how to kind of monitor your behavior and edit what you say, you're going to pay the price every day. It, you know, you get a, a figurative spanking every day of your life if you don't figure that kind of stuff out. So we learn pretty early on how to monitor our behavior, but that is not enough. Because as I just said, once in a while, something kind of slips through the filter, and you say, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. Where did, where did that come from? Or you do something, and there are major consequences. Or you hope you don't get caught, and you say something like, boy, that, that just wasn't me. I don't know where that came from. Or, or, or someone might even say to you, what were you thinking? That's not like you. And it's as if this filter that we possess has a hole in it and we patch it up and we say, boy, I better not ever say that again or I better not ever do that again. What we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is that that filter really is not enough. And especially as we get older, it's really not enough to monitor our behavior. We have to monitor something else and we, we, we really need to monitor something that no one has taught us how to do. No, no one ever taught me how to do this, and I, I wonder if it's happened for you either. So, um, because we grew up in a world that was so focused on what we say and what we do, right? Your parents were more concerned about teaching you how to have manners, how to, you know, there's certain things that we don't say in public. We may say them when we're not in public, but we don't say that. And that's basically how we were raised, with, um, with a, a monitoring of our behavior in our, our mouth. So, 
there is this source from which all of life emanates. And, and we just, we, we, we don't monitor that very well. I'm going to read some scripture, and what I'm going to read, Jesus is having a conversation with some religious leaders. It's, um, it's Matthew 15, if you want to turn there and hold it for just a minute. And uh, also, I'll be in Proverbs 4 in just a few minutes. Um, in the middle of this conversation, he just kind of throws this verse out there, and then he talks some more, and then he throws out another one, and it's huge. And you put these two thoughts together, and it's somewhat of a shift. It's kind of a new idea. It's not, this is not intuitive, what we're going to talk about today. This does not come naturally to us. And as I read this, and as we talk about it, you may find yourself pushing back and saying, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I'm fully on board with that. It's not just enough, I'm going to say, to monitor your words and your behavior. There is a deeper issue. It is that issue that causes some of you, once you got married, you said to your best friend or your parents, he's not the man I married. I don't know, you know, when we dated, he wasn't like this. But six weeks into our marriage, he's saying things and doing things. I don't know where that came from. I don't know who this guy is. Or maybe it's a guy saying, I don't know who this woman is, that she's not who I thought she was. It's as if they are Jekyll and Hyde. They're two different people, and, and they behaved right. They said all the right stuff. And then it's, who is this person? Eventually we learn, either the easy way or the hard way, that simply monitoring behavior and monitoring what we say is not enough. Matthew 15, Jesus is in the middle of this conversation, and in the middle of it he drops this line, and I'm just going to give you the one line. I'm not even going to give you the whole thing. Matthew 15, verse 18 the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. You read that and you go, what? And you keep reading and he says, everything that comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. He says, it's as if the mouth is a stethoscope that reveals what's going on in the heart. If you want to know what's in a person's heart, listen to what's coming out of their mouth. It will tell you what's in the heart. In other words, in those moments when we say, ooh, I, I didn't mean to say that. I don't know where that came from. Jesus would say, I know where it came from. It came from your heart. Oh, no, Jesus, that, that's uncharacteristic for me. I don't normally say things like that. And Jesus would say, yeah, I know that because you've learned. You've, you've learned to filter. You've learned how to get along in life by not saying those kind of things. But those things are in your heart and you've learned how to maintain relationships and you've learned how to monitor and edit your words so that you don't get into trouble but every once in a while your heart is going to pierce the filter and certain things are going to make their way out and it is evidence of what's in your heart and you'll apologize and you'll 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 make the decision we've all done this right we've all done this i'm never going to say that again I'm going to double my efforts to filter what I say. And Jesus would say, no, you, you need to listen because that's what's in your heart. And what lurks in your heart eventually finds its way out into the mainstream somehow. And it ruins your relationships. And it eventually, that filter is going to break down. And something's going to happen in your life and it's going to come out of you and it's not going to be good. And you will want to convince everybody that that's really not who you are and what you think. And Jesus would say, no, no, it's, it's a reflection of what's in your heart. This is a big warning for all of you who are engaged <laughs> or dating. You know, he's so wonderful and she's so wonderful. But every once in a while, whoa, where did that come from? His heart. 
her heart. And when you marry him or her, and, and they bring that heart into the marriage or into the context of marriage, the filtering system gets thinner and thinner, and the efforts to, to monitor things seem to wane a bit. And Jesus would say, well, that just came from their heart. They were, they, you know, they were taught to monitor what they said. They were taught to, to you know, look over what they do, but they never really developed the skill of, of monitoring the heart. And so Jesus goes on to say some more stuff that's even harder to believe. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, to which we say, no, Jesus, no. That stuff doesn't come from the heart, it comes from my brain. And Jesus would say, no, no, it comes from your heart. Your evil thoughts come from your heart. When you have an evil thought, it's because you've got something evil in you. Yeah, I have some evil thoughts sometimes, Jesus, but... I just tell myself I shouldn't think about that. And I monitor and I edit what I say and, and I put a filter on my thinking. And Jesus says, that's great, but that's coming from your heart. That's, you know, what you're saying is not really the problem. It's deeper than that. Oh, no, I don't, Jesus, I don't have an evil heart. My mama, my mama said, you're a good boy. And Jesus would say, well, your mama's wrong because... <laughs> There's evil in your heart. And you've got a pretty sophisticated filter. And you know how to disguise it and you know how to make it look good. But there are thoughts in your heart that you may never express, but they're there. You have a heart problem. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. It's interesting, last night my on my television there was a um, one of those forensic shows where they're trying to you know it's like a real life someone there's been a murder and they're going through the investigation showing you how all that happens and um, it's interesting whenever there's a murder they don't go talk to strangers about the murder who do they start with family and in the first service someone said the husband <laughs> like yeah it's got to be the husband uh, <laughs> so we set them up with a counseling appointment for later um she, <laughs> she was pretty clear about it. The husband. Um, they start with family because what happens is, you know, there's a relationship and something happens in the relationship and the next thing you know, um, there's stuff in the heart that, that, that the filter kind of breaks down and the filter's not there to catch the thou shalt not murder and the next thing you know, a murder has happened and so they start to investigate. And so Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Which is usually driven by jealousy, right? Slander. I want to feel better about me so I got to tear you down so I can feel good about me. I want to feel good about the stuff I have so I want to criticize your stuff so that I'll feel better about my stuff. I want to feel good about me, and I can't do that with you around, so the way to make me feel better is to, is to say bad stuff about you. And people say, well, I, you shouldn't say things like that. And you go, you're right. I've got to filter my mouth. And Jesus would say, no, you've got to learn to monitor your heart. Because those words aren't simply bad manners. Those words are a reflection of something that's going on in your heart. I was at a youth conference one time when I was a youth pastor and the guy there was teaching us he said you know um, I know you guys think that your your youth group kids are, are you know just wonderful little angels 
Um, but I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to go home and ask him a question. So I, I took that to heart. I came back, and I, um, I had a group of kids that we called Rock Group. I think Ryan, Ryan, I know Ryan still does that with kids. It's kind of a specialized thing. It's, there's really good kids in there, and it's, it's, kind of spe- it's, it's just kind of Bible study on steroids kind of deal. And um, I had this great group of Rock Group kids and I got them together, and I thought, I'm going to ask this question, and I know my kids are going to pass this test. I know my kids' hearts, and I know they're going to be okay with this. And so this was the, this was the question I asked them. Would you smuggle cocaine into the country from another country for a million dollars if you knew you would not get caught? And I'm thinking... My kids will stand up to this. They're, they won't say that they would do that. Almost every one of them said, heck yeah, for a million dollars. I'm like, no! I'm a horrible youth pastor! Let's bring it to the real world. Jan Eglin walked out of here in the first service. He said, Brett, I can give you one that, you can, that everybody can relate to. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. You're at one of the street lights downtown no one is around the light is red it has been red for a long time you're sitting there looking at a red light no cars no one around you gonna run that red light or not some of you are some of you are jan ratted his wife out and said my wife runs them all the time There's stuff lurking in your heart, and it's undealt with, and it's unmonitored, and we all have stuff in there, and one day, when the filter is thin, or we just aren't as careful, it's going to come to the surface, and it's going to wreak havoc in a relationship, or it's going to do something to the things we care the most about. It's your world, and it's mine. Where does it come from? Jesus says it comes from your heart. Why in the world, have you ever found yourself saying that doing this? I, I say I'm against certain things. I teach my kids to be against certain things. And yet you look up one day and you're doing those things you've told your kids not to do. You ever found yourself doing that? You're like, you know, I taught them not to. I mean, I know better. What am I doing this for? Bad heart. There's stuff in your heart. And until we learn to monitor and deal with our heart, our filter is just that. It's just a filter. That's why the wisest man in the world, a guy named Solomon, who wrote so much, he wrote Ecclesiastes, he wrote most of the Proverbs, he was declared the wisest man in the world. People came from far and wide to to see him and talk to him. He had insights on money, he had insights on relationships, on business, on family, on poor people, on rich people, on how they should get along. He wrote on just about every subject imaginable, and he had insight far beyond those people of his day. And even to this day, a lot of people would say he's probably one of the wisest men that ever lived. Here's what he said. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else. In other words, I'm going to say a lot of things, but what I'm about to say is the most important thing. Above all else. If you don't read anything else I write, if you don't listen to anything else I'm going to tell you, Solomon would have said you really need to hear this next thing as a good friend of mine says you need to really catch what I'm pitching right here above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life literally it is where life comes from 
You live from the heart. You love from the heart. You parent from the heart. You lead from the heart. You manage your money from the heart. You have relationships from your heart. He agrees with Jesus. Your words, your actions, your attitudes spring from your heart. And here's his command. Guard your heart. You got to guard it. You know that, that what the guard means? It means to be careful what goes in and what escapes. Above all else, guard your heart because everything else in your life emanates from this invisible and tangible thing. I had somebody come out in the first service after the first service wanting to argue with me about the biological heart and where's this other heart, you know, and he's, we get what we're talking about, right? There's this place inside of us that we, we refer to as our heart. It's what governs, it's what, it's what drives our, you know, when, you've, when you were a kid and you got infatuated and you thought, you know, you just got overwhelmed by something and, oh, pitter-patter, you know, that thing, that's your heart. That's what we're talking about. It's that, that place that if we cut you open and we started to go look for this place, we couldn't find it, but we all know it's in there. That thing that God put on us, the, the thing that the Bible and Jesus refers to as our heart, he says, you've got to learn to guard that because all of life comes from that. Now, let's face it. Nobody ever taught us, certainly didn't teach me, how to guard that. We were just taught to behave, to be good. We were taught not to say certain things. We were taught not to do certain things. No one ever really trained you or me, Brett. Here's how you guard your heart. Here's how when something is, is bad is about to enter, how you don't let that enter. Here are some questions to ask that no one taught me and probably didn't teach you how to do that. We were taught to edit our behavior. And yet the wisest man in all of history says, above all else, you must learn and develop and create the discipline of guarding your heart. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about that. Solomon says, above all else, you've got to do it. Jesus says, everything you say, you know, what, what you do, it all comes from this. Anything negative you've ever done has emanated from this place. The truth is, life has a tendency, a t- a tendency to lodge stuff in there I tell people all the time, the world is designed to eat you up. The world is designed to rip you apart and devour you. And if you don't understand the disciplines about how to clean out our hearts, there's, we've, there's a song, those of you who grew up in the church, you remember the song, Search Me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. God, I want you to do something in me. And certainly, that's a part of what we're talking about. But the scripture goes deeper than that, and it gives some habits of the heart that if we will engage in those daily, God will use these things to clean our heart and to keep it clean. And it keeps certain things at, at arm's length that we don't want to get in so that they don't get lodged into our hearts to begin with. Now, this isn't new. I'm not talking about something you're going, wow, this is new information. I don't think I'm saying anything that you didn't already know. Because even though you don't know your heart all that well, you've met people, you've lived with people, maybe you, you used to live with people, and you would agree, there was just something wrong with them. There was a twist, there was, a, there was an evil, there was an edge, something. 
and they were even unaware of it and you couldn't talk to them about it because they got really defensive they had a heart issue so you basically just kind of lived around it and you never really talked about it because it, it, it's, it was always your fault you know and if you tried to broach it it was blame 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 so um, you learn just don't say anything but but there was just this thing that they carried so as we talk about this some of you are going to push back and some of you are going to say if God will change my heart I'm all for having a changed heart or some would say you know I'll change when he changes and when he changes I'll change my heart or some of you would say you know the reason I'm so messed up on the inside and the reason I have all these issues is because of what he did to me And you, you could even get up here and tell us your sad story and we would all go, oh man, no wonder you're all jacked up. No wonder you're a mess. But here's the challenge. Will we take the responsibility for our heart and learn to guard them and monitor them and will we not push back but instead embrace our responsibility to work alongside our Heavenly Father who cares so much about us for some it's going to be really hard work for instance I'll just use this because I know there's nobody in here who's this we'll use someone who's greedy now I know there's nobody greedy in here okay so I'm safe to use this one because no one's greedy I mean we'll cop to being angry we'll cop to being jealous we'll cop to a lot of different things but we don't ever say we're greedy right we're careful that's what we are we're careful so I know there's no greedy people in here but if there were let's say we're going to fix your your greediness and you say God you know I want to I want to fix that the Bible says the way you overcome greed is by giving so you say to a greedy person so do you want to get over your greed and they go yes I do God please take this greediness away from me I don't want to be greedy anymore and God says hey that's great okay here's what you do I want you to write a check well I can't do that I'm greedy give me a generous heart and I'll be generous and God says no <laughs> write a check that's, that's how you do it but I can't I'm greedy God says no if you, if you want to not be greedy write a check because giving breaks the grip of greed in your life but I'm greedy that's the problem and this is the dynamic that we're going to find ourselves in in all of this there is some pushback in us that's just not how I am. That's just never been the way it is for me. And this is too hard. And I'm telling you, Brett, if I could pray a prayer and God would change my heart, I'd be so happy. I I'm all for a change. And as we gain insight over the next couple of weeks, there may be a tendency to say, the reason I can't do this is because of, this, of what's in my heart. And Jesus would say, yeah, but by doing it, it's going to change your heart. We're going to look at some things over the next several weeks. One of the counseling techniques that I've, I've recently learned with, with people, especially once in a while, someone will come in and they're angry. They're really, I mean, vile, bitter. It's not good. I mean, it's not the kind of appointment that I'm looking forward to. Like, boy, I can't wait to have this conversation because they're just, ugh, you know. But I heard something recently that has really helped me to kind of know how to deal with them. You want to have them take out a, their calendar or their day planner or whatever and say, you know, I want you to get it out and look ahead and pick a date in the future. Is there a date in mind 
because you've made a decision to carry this and be this hateful. You know, you don't have to be this way. I know people that have had horrible things happen in their world, and they're not hateful people. So it's not, your, your circumstances don't have to dictate that you be a certain way. You can overcome that. You can make decisions. We do that with our kids, right? Our kids get up on the wrong side of the bed, and they come in, they're growling, and they're not real happy, and we look at them and make sure that they know in no uncertain terms, you're not tolerating that today. You change your attitude or you can go right back to bed, right? That's the kind of stuff we say. We don't let them get away with that stuff. If they said, no, I don't have a choice. No, you do have a choice. Change your attitude or I'll change it for you. Who has not said that in this room, right? <laughs> We've all done that, right? So get your calendar out and look into the future and let me know what day you're going to decide to let that go. How long does it have to go? And the more damaged and more wounded your heart is, the more difficult it is, and the more damaged and wounded your heart is, the more of a tendency you and I are going to have to blame the people who damaged it. That's what we do. So you go, how long? Six months? Is six months long enough for you to carry this thing before you finally get over all the anger and bitterness and hurt and all the stuff going on? Five years? I mean, pick a date in the future and decide that's the day I'm going to put it down you're going to wait till your deathbed before you finally let that go the great news is this god has given us not just a command to guard our hearts but insight on how to do it and these are lifelong habits and regardless of where you are on this even if it's for the sake of the next generation we've got to figure out how to how to guard this we have to pay attention not just to what we do and what we say, but what's going on in our hearts. We live from our heart, and it's from our heart that all these other things emanate. It's just, it's just the way it is. We need to teach our kids how to guard their hearts. See, you thought Christianity was about behave. That's what people think. People think, well, Christianity is about behave. No, it's not. People think, well, Christianity is about acting like a Christian. No, it's not. God said, I want to give you a new heart. I want to change you from the inside out. I want to, I want to make you a different person. Work with me to guard your heart. Now, I'm done. But before I close, I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes. Just kind of close your eyes and bow your head. I want to I'm going to give you some questions to begin to ask yourself in this process now in the next several weeks as we talk about guarding our heart and what it looks like. Just get still for a minute. And I want to ask you this. Is, is everything okay in your heart? Are you mad at anybody? Are you waiting for someone to come to you to make things right? Have you had any extended imaginary conversations lately? You know what the kind I'm talking about, right? Do you have to apologize for something you did or said and you kind of want to utter the words, where did that come from? Have you secretly celebrated someone else's failure in the past several days? Are there any secrets eating at you? 
Let's pray together. God, help us to guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of life. And Father, the world is just, it is so hostile. There's so much foul stuff in it. And and even the most vigilant person would have a hard time keeping a lot of this stuff at bay. And if we aren't vigilant, it's just amazing how quickly our heart can get dark and hard and full of a bunch of stuff that just should not be there. And Lord, what's really at the front of all this is as much as we would like to have our hearts guarded and and for us to be able to do that, we cannot do it by ourselves. We confess to you that we need your help. Father, there are some in the room that that we would look at our hearts and we would just say, God, that's awful. I don't like that. I want to change that and I don't even know how. So Father, this morning as we have considered not just monitoring our behavior, not just editing our words, but how to really guard that part of us deep inside where things take root. And then we open our mouth and we give ourselves away. We want that part changed. And we so desperately need your help. Father, we love you. So thankful for Jesus. It is in his precious and holy name we pray.